Good morning. Believe it or not, I'm excited to get to speak to you this morning. I am a little nervous. It's my first time to preach on a Sunday morning. But Brother Don said it would do me some good, and I have learned something about Brother Don this morning. That is, you got a crooked head or something, Brother Don, because, <laughs> man, this thing don't fit me right. I know it's not me. Um, this morning, as it's been mentioned, is Senior Recognition Sunday. I'm excited about that. But my challenge in preparing has been how do I speak to our seniors and encourage them and charge them with something, but it also be a message that applies to all of us. So that's been a challenge for me, but I've learned real quickly that my challenges are God's opportunities. So I think this morning God has a word for all of us. If you would turn to the book of Mark, be in chapter 1 of the book of Mark. I'm going to start reading in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now I have to start with a confession, and that is I've always struggled with this passage. I know Jesus was a powerful man. He had a com commanding presence. But it's hard to believe that Jesus would walk up to some guys on their job site and say, hey guys, come on, follow me. And immediately their response is, we're going to drop our nets, leave our dad, and we're going to follow Jesus. That's kind of weird to me. And it may be my background, I don't know, but most of you know me and you know I like to run nets, fish nets. Mostly I like to eat the fish that are in the nets. But my, my great-grandpa ran nets, my, my grandpa ran nets, and my dad has run nets, and I've run nets with all of them, and I've run nets with some of you in the Lane Gill River. And I'm going to tell you all something. If I'm out running my nets... And we pick one up, and this long-haired, long-bearded fellow wearing a bathrobe pokes his head out <laughs> and says, come on, follow me. <laughs> no, sir. Uh-uh. I ain't following nobody on the Langill River. I I'm not doing that. Now, whoever else is in the boat can do whatever they want to do. 
But if I need to, I'll walk on water. <laughs> I ain't following nobody on the Lane Gill. It's always bothered me. It may be my background. Right now, I'm taking a Christian education class at Union University, and I had to do a paper, some research, on the history of the Jewish education system. And that research has shed a lot of light on this passage for me. What I've learned in that paper is that their education system was radically different than ours, obviously. They used the Old Testament to teach everything. The kids learned to read and write by the Old Testament. And by the, at an early age, like by the time they were eight or nine, they had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, most of them. Incredible stuff. Crazy stuff. And by the time they were like 14 or 15, a lot of them had most of the Old Testament memorized. That's unfathomable, unfathomable to me. Hard to believe. I, have, I struggle memorizing a verse in a month. They had almost the whole Old Testament memorized. But when they came to their adult time in their life, like these college students that I'm going to, or, or these future college students that I'm going to talk to here in a little bit. The point was to go find a popular rabbi, latch yourself onto him, and learn from him. That was the secondary education, kind of like our college. And these rabbis, man, they would put them through some grueling stuff, from what I read. They would ask them questions like, what are the references to the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Habakkuk? I'm out. <laughs> I don't know. They put them through some grueling stuff. But if they were good enough, if they knew all the answers, the rabbi would say, come, follow me. Which is what Jesus said in this passage. If they weren't quite good enough, they would say something like, I see you know a lot of Scripture, and that's good, but won't you go home, get married, start a family, have kids, and pray for your kids to be rabbis, because you're not quite good enough. What were these men doing? Fishing. Ordinary jobs. I wonder... If when Jesus said, come follow me, that was the first time they'd ever heard that in their lives. That's the first time they'd ever been accepted by anybody to follow them and to teach them and to care about them and pour into them. I believe it was. A lot of times when we talk about our salvation, we say, when I was eight years old, I accepted Jesus. But that's not how these men thought about their walk with Jesus. They said, Jesus accepted me. That's radically different. Jesus has accepted me. This morning I want to talk to you about the three keys to following Jesus faithfully. And the first one is acceptance, but it's not our acceptance of Him, it's His acceptance of us. 
That's a, that's a lot different. I think this is the way these disciples viewed it. It's vitally important that we preach to ourselves every morning when we wake up that we deserve nothing less than hell. We're sinful people. We deserve nothing less than hell. We have earned hell. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We have earned hell. But if we have trusted Jesus, we have been accepted. And not just accepted, but made family with our Creator. We need to preach that to ourselves. The first key to following Jesus faithfully is acceptance, but it's not our acceptance of Him, it's His acceptance of us. I heard an illustration the other day, and it grabbed me. This preacher said, Every other religion in the world, every other world religion, Buddhism, any other world religion, Hinduism, is like a man that walks into an orphanage and he sees all these kids in this orphanage and he tells the keeper of the orphanage, I'm going to view these kids for a while. And whichever of them is good enough, I'm going to adopt them. Christianity is different. Christianity is like a man walking into an orphanage and seeing all these kids that are messed up. Liars, cheaters, swindlers. And he said, I know they're messed up, but I'm going to adopt them. And my love for them and my amazing grace is going to change them and they're going to love me. But it starts with God's acceptance of us. We have to preach that to ourselves. The second key to faithfully following Christ is abandon. These men left everything to follow Jesus. They abandoned their way of life. Some of them abandoned their family. I mean, what do you think if you're, if you're the guy's dad that got left in the boat? Well, ain't that a sight? You go and follow this guy, and I'm left with the work. They abandoned everything to follow Jesus. When I think about this, I think about Jim Elliott. He's a missionary to Ecuador, and I want to read you something that I read a few weeks ago about Jim Elliott. This book says Jim Elliott wrote in a letter to his family, Remember, you are immortal until your work is done. But don't let the sands of time get into the eyes of your vision to reach those who still sit in darkness. They simply must hear. Just before he left for the last time, Elizabeth asked Jim if they were attacked by the Aukas, would they use their guns? Jim's response was clear and certain. We will not use our guns. When Elizabeth asked why, he simply said, because we are ready for heaven, but they're not. Are you there? Jim Elliott lived in abandon, even to the point of his earthly body. He completely abandoned it all. Total abandon. 
So many times, even Christians, we're, we're, we are guilty of surrendering to the temporal and sacrificing the eternal. We're captivated by the temporal, we're wrapped up in the temporal, and we sacrifice the eternal. This morning, when I get to speak to these graduating seniors, I'm going to ask them to lay down their college completely, to abandon it. But I'm not talking to them now, I'm talking to you. So what, what does that mean for us? I, I think that means for us that, that we abandon everything. We abandon our families, we abandon our jobs, we abandon everything for the sake of the gospel. Does that mean we don't go to college? No. Does that mean we don't go to high school? No. That gets y'all in trouble. Does it mean we quit our jobs? No. Or quit our families? No. But it does mean that we don't waste them. If we go to college living an abandoning life in the name of Jesus Christ, we go with a different purpose than education. We go with a purpose, understanding that we're going to be surrounded in darkness, but we are light. And it's our job that no matter where we are, we push back darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. For us, in your job, it's not about making a living, not for a Christian. A Christian goes to work with the light of Christ to push back darkness where he's been placed. Push back darkness. The only way to faithfully follow Christ is, number one, to live in acceptance, understanding we've been accepted by Christ, and number two, to live with abandon. Everything else in our life is nothing. These kids, you and I both know, when they go to college, they're going to have every opportunity to mess up. I don't care if you go to a Baptist college or if you go to Harvard. You're going to be surrounded with temptations as a college student. And it's tough. I didn't realize how tough it was until I started working with them. I've never been to college. But it's tough. We can go thinking we're going to have every opportunity to mess up and wreck our lives, or we can go thinking we're going to have every opportunity to live abundant life and walk with God in, in, in the middle of darkness. It takes abandonment. The third key to following Christ is allegiance. If you would, turn with me to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 21 of the book of John, the very end of the book. 
We're going to start in verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and, and, and had said, Lord, who is that? Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus gets very real with Peter right here. <laughs> He says, when you were young, man, you got to do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a day that's coming when somebody's going to stretch your arms out, and basically he says you're going to be crucified for what you believe. That's a little too real for me. I, <laughs> you kind of want those details left out of the prophecy, you know. But Jesus lets him have it. And I love that about Jesus because he never confuses us about what it takes to follow him. He always, he always gives us full detail. There's going to be times that are really good, but there's going to be some times that are tough. My last key to faithfully following Jesus is that it takes allegiance, full allegiance to follow Jesus. When we're following Jesus, there are going to be times where we walk on water. And we're doing things that are completely outside of us. <laughs> He's using us to do things that have nothing to do with us. But there's also going to be times where we're spit on, mocked. There are times when we follow Jesus when... We're going to be involved in feeding 4,000 people. Miraculous stuff that God's doing apart from us and through us. There are going to be times where it feels like we've been abandoned also, just like Christ was. There are times when it's going to be like Pentecost. People are, people are coming to Christ. It's exciting. Everybody's wanting to live for Jesus. They want more of Jesus. They're wrapped up in Jesus. But before there's Pentecost, there's always Calvary. I wonder sometimes if the reason we don't experience more Pentecost is because we don't want to experience Calvary. We don't want to go to Calvary. Jesus said, in those times, keep on following me.
keep on following me. You know what? I think that song service was really quick. There's a reason we're, we're running fast. Um, I may be your favorite pastor after today. You know? <laughs> Brother Don's got a crooked head and I got a quick message. I want to finish by telling you the rest of the story about the young men and the rabbis. These young men would approach these rabbis and they would say, Rabbi, can I learn from you? And if you were good enough, if, if the rabbi accepted you, they would say, come follow me. I told you that earlier. Well, it, these, these young men would have to leave everything to follow this rabbi, just like these men did in the book of Mark. And they would have to go home and they would have to tell their parents, I'm leaving. I'm going to follow this rabbi. Well, that was a big deal. Not everybody got accepted by a rabbi. Mom and dad were really proud of this young man. And the dad would look at his son and he would say, Son, may you follow him so closely that you're covered in the dust of his sandals. May you follow him so closely that you're covered in the dust of his sandals. That's my charge for these graduating seniors. That's also my prayer for my family here at Wynn Baptist Church. May we all follow him so closely that we're all covered in the dust of his sandals. Will you bow with me? What strikes me about Jesus' command to follow him is it's his very first command to his disciples. And then it's one of his very last commands to his disciples. Keep on following me. And I think that means that, that wherever we are in life, in our walk with God, the command is the same. If we've never trusted Jesus, He's calling us to follow Him. If we've walked with Him for 50 years, His command is still, keep on following me. Maybe this morning you're here and you've, you've never been accepted by Jesus. I want you to know He's calling. And you can. If you need to trust Jesus this morning, the pastors are going to be standing down front. Come and speak with us and we can show you how to start a journey with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never truly abandoned everything. 
You want Jesus, you want to follow Jesus when you're at the brink of heaven or hell. But when it's not so fun, you don't want to follow Jesus. I think Jesus would say, repent and keep on following me. Maybe this morning, allegiance is the problem. We try to avoid Calvary with all our might. Nobody in here wants to suffer. But if you're going through Calvary, if you're, if you're going through suffering, and that allegiance to Christ is there, I can assure you Pentecost is coming. Maybe as a church we need to hold our head up and embrace Calvary, understanding that Pentecost is coming. If you need to do business with God this morning, I would urge you to do it. Father, we come to you this morning. And the prayer is simple. I pray that we would hear you clearly and respond to you wholeheartedly. God, I pray you would move among us. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.